0: The producer's name is Ryan Mudd. He's behind the glass, spinning the dolls radio style for me, playing gatekeeper as usual. If you want to get to me, you have to go through him first, and he is a tough cookie to crack. So we'll talk about a variety of things tonight. I also want to rant about Vince McMahon going back to Saudi Arabia and doing so in kind of a brash way just to make millions and millions of dollars. So we will get to that a little bit later on. We'll talk about infighting with the Houston Rockets. And unfortunately, the NFL overtime rules aren't going to change, so you're going to have to listen to me vent about that yet again. And you're also going to have to listen to this because it's more important than anything I'm going to say over the next hour, and that is I'm blessed beyond measure, all reasonable, and otherwise. I hope you recognize that you are as well. If you follow me on Twitter, or even if you don't, you can DM me at jmartzone to have that conversation further. If it's something you've never considered before or something... You know, that might be a little bit different for you now, hit me up. If not me, hit somebody up. So I'm gonna need musical accompaniment for this. And I gave this to Brian Mudd, so I'm gonna cue the music right now. Because sometimes there are points that need a soundtrack. I put this on Twitter a couple of minutes ago. Now if it gets loud, Ryan, you're gonna have to pot this down because people need to be able to hear my dulcet tones. If you want peace, prepare for war. That is what Parabellum means. Now this is also gonna be a fortuitous and very coincidental moment for me to tell you that the latest iteration of the Big Six blog, written and published today, is the first ever Deep Six Dive, which is going back in time to cover in detail something in pop culture. And so I went back to 2014 and wrote 2,000 words on the original John Wick. Going into all sorts of details and spoilers. I'm going to do the same thing for chapter two. May not be tomorrow, maybe Saturday, but it will be in the next couple of days. And I'm going to rewrite the Parabellum review with a lot of spoilers after I get a chance to see it again. The first one is spoiler free, and the link is available for you at the Big Six blog. But this isn't necessarily about John Wick here. This is about. Tonight's Eastern Conference Finals, game number five. Because Kawhi Leonard, ladies and gentlemen, is the NBA's John Wick. I can hear you out there right now. You're in your cars, you're in the heat. This is as bad a traffic day, Ryan Mudd tells me, as we'll get all year. A lot of people taking tomorrow off work, and so it's Memorial Day weekend already. Plus, you got the usual craziness in the Music City. But let me say this again, just so you can take your hand off the radio knobs. Take them off the buttons and just sit back and relax and enjoy this. Or enjoy me trying to land this plane. if you wonder how in the world I'm going to pull this off. Kawhi Leonard is the NBA equivalent of John Wick. I want you to think about this. Now, if you haven't seen the movie, this is not going to land as well for you. But you need to do that anyway. But I want you to think about it. Kawhi Leonard doesn't say a whole lot. But he instills fear in basically everybody he plays. He's often seen... But he's not heard. And when he is seen, it's usually way too late, right? He's the grim reaper on a basketball court. Yes, there are other guys that do the same. But how many of them do that with a closed mouth, with virtually no endorsements, or whining, or complaining, and they just flat out execute people on the hardwood? He's not just John Wick, he's the wounded John Wick that has a contract out against him worth millions. And in this case, we're talking about pro athletes and pro sports level millions. So right now, the Milwaukee Bucks are out here trying to collect that paper on him. They're trying to get rich. He's hobbling around. His knee is jacked up. He may as well have been shot. He's struggling to move. You see him lumbering up and down the floor. He's got a blood pressure cuff, or that's what it looks like, on his knee. He's still out here toe-tagging people. But there's another thing about John Wick, and when I rewatched it, and this is something that I put in my review at the Big Six blog, which is why you should go to 1045TheZone.com slash Big Six blog and bookmark that joint. There's another piece of John Wick in the original film where he finds help from an unlikely source. It's not unlikely to him, but it's unlikely for us because who trusts or who do you trust in a film like this? If you remember the initial movie back in 2014, Willem Dafoe's character, Marcus was basically John's mentor and father figure, sort of a grizzled veteran that everyone looked up to in the Assassin game. But he was a guy you really didn't know if you could actually trust. And he accepted Vigo's contract to kill John Wick for $3 million, but then he instead basically protected John, protected his friend, became the one guy that John could rely upon. So Marcus, in my NBA example is this suddenly emergent Toronto Raptors bench. I'm talking about guys that, in a movie like this, you're not supposed to trust anybody. And there's no honor among thieves, and these are criminals, and they're murderers and assassins, and real nefarious types. But this Raptors bench, and I'm talking about the Norman Powells, and the Sergi Ibaka's, and the Fred Van Vliet's, those guys. Those guys who combined for 40 years, Eight huge points in game four to tie this series up as they pretty much walked away from the Bucks in game four. Those guys may as well have had sniper rifles. They may as well have been Marcus shooting the pillow next to John to wake him up as he saw another assassin entering his hotel room at the Continental. Somehow, through all of this, Marcus didn't betray him. He stuck with him to the end, and he saved his life and actually sacrificed his own. And that's what we just saw in Toronto for Game 4. And increasingly, maybe not to the same degree, but we saw it a little bit in Game 3. We know John Wick is lethal. We know Kawhi Leonard is lethal. He's the guy Vigo describes, and this is such a great description, as not just the boogeyman, but the guy you hire to go kill the boogeyman. He's the best all-around player in the game right now. Maybe you put Durant there, but Kawhi's defense is elite. On a different level. He's got range. He shoots well from the line. He's out here rebounding. He passes. He's unselfish unless he knows he has to be the guy. And then he can absolutely be the guy. There's no real weakness in his game. And as many people as have tried to take him down this year. Whether it's Joel Embiid. Or whether it's Giannis Antetokounmpo. Who may still do it. But is in the process of doing it. Or even in the past. LeBron James. He's still out here. He's alive and he's kicking. The question is this, folks, as we go into this game five tonight, can Marcus show up on the road? Does Marcus travel well? And does he have aim on the road the same way he did at home? That is your question mark, because right now, watching Kawhi Leonard, Kawhi needs stitches. He needs isopropyl alcohol. He needs hydrogen peroxide. He needs bandages. In basketball parlance, he needs time to recover, and he doesn't really have it. 48 hours ago, he looked like he was ambling up the floor on every possession, just in pain. And the bench mob picked him up. And those guys typically, the bench mobs typically don't show up on the road. That is historically true in the NBA postseason. Those tertiary players, those role players, those others, as Shaq always calls them, on TNT. Those guys show up for you at home, and then on the road, you can't count on those guys. Milwaukee's didn't in Toronto, and they've been lauded for their bench all season long. They're a deeper team than Toronto. Those guys for Toronto, plus the other key starters, meaning Kyle Lowry and Pascal Siakam, they must be heard from tonight. Kawhi has already put forth about as impressive a performance as we've seen in this postseason. But he's rapidly running out of ammo. And he's not at the Continental, so he can't go back to Winston and open back up that artillery shed. He is deteriorating. He's tired. And I mean for this season. He's not deteriorating for his career. He's just beat down this deep into the playoffs. And he cannot right now do this alone. Even John Wick, as dangerous as he is, as deadly as he is, as lethal as he is, Needed a little bit of luck and needed a little help from his friends. And how about this? This just happens to be the third playoff series for the Toronto Raptors this year. What a coincidence. There have been one, two, three John Wick films. Guess what? A fourth was greenlighted earlier this week. It's going to come out in May of 2021. But to get to that fourth playoff series, meaning the NBA Finals, to get to that number four number in the NBA, Toronto has to win on the road, not in the friendly confines, and they've got to do it tonight because whoever wins game five will win this series. Technically, technically, it's not a must win because you could still win six and seven, but it sure feels like one. And Kawhi really needs to get this done in six anyway so he can take Saturday night through midweek off before the finals begin a week from tonight against the Golden State Warriors. And the problem there is that is much easier said than done because the Bucks are the better basketball team. The Bucks are the deeper team as well. Credit to Nick Nurse for starting to use this bench a little bit more effectively. He was going about seven deep, and now he's he's putting guys in there. Like Norman Powell has been incredibly beneficial to them. But John Wick, even though the Bucks are the better team, John Wick disposed of 100 armed dudes, and not just nobodies, not just level one villains, but dudes with fighting skill who were out here attempting to take him down for millions as part of a bounty. Kawhi Leonard is out here making millions of dollars to dispose of about 10 dudes with all sorts of skill, fighting skill, if you want to keep the analogy alive, attempting to take him down for a shot at immortality in the NBA, winning the Larry O'Brien, winning a championship, and maybe beating the Golden State Warriors, which would make it even more impressive. I don't think anybody's going to do that, but that's a discussion for a different day. And all these guys, when they get immortality, they also have more leverage and that can lead to even more millions. You see how this works? So you're in traffic, right? And you hear me say, Kawhi Leonard is John Wick in the NBA. And just now, over the past 12 minutes, you have heard me explain it. Hopefully, I did not Benny Off and Weiss this joint. Hopefully, I was able to land this plane. Hopefully, it made sense. And all of a sudden, Daenerys wasn't just riding a dragon and taking down King's Landing. Kawhi Leonard has all the skill just like John Wick did, but he's been battered and bruised. Just like John Wick in the original film, hanging out of that SUV, basically left for dead in the rain. All of this either makes him extremely dangerous, or it means he's so worn down that he needs a lot of help to escape Ms. Perkins and to escape all the rest of the crew intact and still be breathing at the end. I will say this for the Milwaukee Bucks, however. At the very least... Thank goodness, Coach Mike Budenholzer, or Malcolm Brogdon, or Chris Middleton, or the Greek Freak, or Nikola Mirotic. At the very least, none of them killed Kawhi Leonard's beagle, and they did not try to steal his sixty-nine Mach One Mustang. That might be their saving grace. He is beat down, but he is lethal tonight. This is going to be a fascinating watch to see what he's got in the tank. He's he's having a hard time making it up and down the floor, but he's still making moves, making things happen. But he didn't have it in Game 4, and he was picked up by the bench because of how beat down he was. Tonight, we could see another example of it. I don't know how much of a second win, maybe we're to the third win at this point for Kawhi Leonard with how hard he's had to play and many times having to do it on his own in this postseason just the way John Wick has always done it alone but occasionally somebody along the way to help him towards his quest his ultimate goal sometimes it's revenge sometimes it's getting out of the game sometimes it's personal for Kawhi Leonard it's the Larry O'Brien trophy and right now it's the NBA finals how about that folks try to disagree with me 6157371045 Kawhi Leonard is John Wick back in a moment big 6 well- I don't know that Ryan knew that he was doing this, but Dirkomisar bringing us back after the fire from the Atomic Blonde soundtrack, amongst others. Atomic Blonde, basically what they attempted to do, and David Litch, who was originally with John Wick, went to do Atomic Blonde. Didn't turn out to work as well, but she's basically the female John Wick, so we're coming back with music from that soundtrack. So that's Fortuitous from Ryan Mudd. 615-737-1045. This is The Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. I am Jason Martin. You can always follow me on Twitter. Yell at me. Praise me. Whatever you want to do. At JMartZone. We're brought to you by Renters Warehouse, dedicated to helping homeowners become rent estate investors by renting their homes instead of selling. Renters Warehouse, the rent estate company. From the Washington Post. The NFL isn't making any changes this off season to its overtime rules. A proposal by the Kansas City Chiefs to guarantee each team at least one possession in overtime was not ratified by owners during their one-day meeting Wednesday at a Florida resort. The Chiefs' proposal came back up for consideration after being discussed and tabled at the annual league meeting in March in Phoenix. No vote was taken by the owners Wednesday on the proposal because of a lack of support. It was clear that the measure would not generate the 24 votes among the 32 teams necessary for ratification. The Chiefs made their proposal after losing last season's AFC championship game on a touchdown by the New England Patriots on the opening possession of overtime. That is the lone scenario by which an overtime game can end after one possession. Chiefs officials had said they made their proposal out of a sense of fairness, not merely in reaction to the outcome of the AFC title game. Supporters of the proposal, I am one of them. I will tell you in a moment. You probably already know if you've been listening to me for any length of time. Supporters of the proposal contended that such an even-handed approach to overtime has become more important than ever in this age of high-powered NFL offenses, given the increased likelihood that the team that wins the coin flip to begin overtime will be able to drive to a first-possession touchdown. But others are wary of extending games any further and argue that a team has no legitimate gripe if its defense fails to stop an opponent from getting an opening-drive touchdown in overtime, so it's not going to happen. Atlanta Falcons, President Rich McKay, has said they're going to look at it again next year, and he says, quote, these are rules that typically take time, unquote. Yes, because things that are obvious and should be changed, that's going to take forever to get done, and maybe it never gets done, and I know there are people that are on the other side of the aisle from me on this issue. We can agree to disagree. I continue to believe, and I hate the fact that the Patriots were the ones that benefited from this, because... That makes it a lot easier to try and say, oh, it's just because of Patriots that you hate it. False. I've hated it for a lot longer than it involved New England in this case. It makes no sense to me. All the arguments against it make no sense to me. Rules, regulations should exist to balance the playing field and to even it out. So here's argument one that you always hear. Well, if you can't stop somebody, you shouldn't deserve to win. You didn't win it in in regulation, so you better stop somebody or you don't have a chance, you don't deserve to win. This would be great except for the fact that the other team also in that same vein doesn't deserve to win, right? Because they didn't get it done in regulation either. So why exactly should they benefit if it's two teams that have high-powered offenses and lackluster defenses? You can then say, yeah, well, you should be a balanced team. You should have an offense and defense to win a Super Bowl. Perhaps that's true. But how many of the teams, even though they didn't win the Super Bowl, were known for their offense and defenses you couldn't trust? The Rams, who almost won a Super Bowl. The Chiefs, certainly. The Saints, at times, were had. These were incredibly high-scoring games. And in this scenario, you've got Tom Brady against Patrick Mahomes. Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback to ever live, and Patrick Mahomes, the new wonderkind. And Patrick Mahomes had to stand on the sidelines hoping that his defense was going to stop the greatest quarterback to ever play the game in overtime for a chance to get to the Super Bowl. And he couldn't do it. To me, that makes no sense. In baseball, nine-inning game, if it goes to extra innings, a full inning is played. If the visitors step up and score two, the home team still has a chance to step up, match that, or beat it. If they beat it, they win. If they match it, they continue to play. The argument that the games are going to take longer, okay, whatever. I don't think that we see very many seven overtime games in college football. It doesn't generally go that way. You can also point to statistics, which I don't think make the point just because they're so, that the college overtime rule... Whoever wins the coin toss wins more often than the team that wins the coin toss in the NFL. Just because these things have happened doesn't mean that's not gospel. Just because it's out there and because those stats are there. In general, if you have to play defense, both teams should have to play defense an equal amount of times. If you come out there and you kick a field goal, and then the team after you comes out there and scores a touchdown... That's ball game, Understood. But the idea that Kansas City's defense, after four quarters, had to go out there, gassed, and not very good anyway, and stop the greatest quarterback ever, while New England's defense, which was very average to say the least, did not have to go out against maybe the most high-powered quarterback in the game at that point in Patrick Mahomes, they were not asked to do the same things. And so, to me, the absence of this rule does not level the playing field it gives one team an advantage. Now, if you can go stop them and go back and kick a field goal, whatever. I also think that that's not the most wonderful argument in itself. But generally speaking, I just continue to look at this and say, why do we have to wait this long to get this done? They're still tweaking the replay rule. They're trying to decide if the last two minutes should be coaches' challenges or should come from the booth. But the idea that a team has no gripe if its defense fails to stop an opponent from getting an opening drive, touchdown, in overtime. First off, the way that this was going to be proposed was both teams were guaranteed at least one possession. I don't know what that does because then it can happen again. It needs to happen until one team fails to do what the other team successfully just pulled off because neither team was able to separate itself from the other during regulation. Thus, both should have to jump through the same hoops in order to win the game in the extra frame. You can't do sudden death the way you do in the NHL because of the rarity of the goals and the fact that the puck is moving between those two teams constantly. Same thing with basketball. It's a five-minute period, and then it's another five minutes or it's whatever. But the possession changes so frequently that it's hard to look at it. Baseball is the one you look at. And my buddy Jeff Schwartz, who I'll be on with tomorrow on Fox Sports Radio and on Memorial Day in for Clay Travis, you'll hear the first hour before the wake-up zone here on 104.5 The Zone, he and I completely disagree. And I assume we're probably going to get into it about this tomorrow because he says you can't compare football to other sports because football is not fair. That football is inherently not fair. It's not even. You don't get an even number of possessions during regulation, this and that and the other. You can make that argument. I still think it's a bad argument because once you get to extras, there's got to be something to even this out. College gets this right. I'm not saying you put the ball on the 20-yard line. I'm not even necessarily saying you put it on the 50. I'm just saying you got to score a touchdown. And I know there are some teams that struggle to score touchdowns and are defensive-minded. Okay, great. Then keep the field goal as it is. Once both teams have had a chance to score a touchdown, Then it's field goal, but then the other team gets a chance to match with a field goal. I know. I'm just encouraging longer games. I get it. But you just played 60 minutes. Can we at least feel good about the result of the football game? Because so many times we don't. If you look at this particular approach, when you look at what they have been doing, when you look at how the Chiefs went home with Mahomes standing on the sideline with no chance to answer Tom Brady, in an extra frame after the Patriots did nothing more than the Chiefs did in regulation to win it. I know the Chiefs had three third down and longs and the Patriots got all of them. That's because Kansas City's defense is terrible. Do you think that the Patriots defense would have been much more successful against Patrick Mahomes the way Andy Reid was calling, those, calling that game? The way Mahomes was playing in the second half and the way Eric Bieniemy had that offense rolling. I would have liked to have at least seen the Patriots have a responsibility to stop it. That's all I'm saying. 615-737-1045. 737-1045. We'll see. I don't know that this rule is ever going to change, but I will continue to rail about it, and it's going to continue to be a problem. So I'm always going to have things to say about this. Up next, Kevin Durant, and not just Kevin Durant as well, because the Rockets... Man, when winning cures a lot, but when you start losing, a lot of stories start coming out. One came out about James Harden and Chris Paul from The Athletic. We will discuss coming up. Big Six. Welcome back. It's a hot one in the Music City. A lot of traffic out there. Thanks for joining me. This is the Big Six finishing up Live and local tonight here on 104.5 The Zone. I'm Jason Martin on Twitter at jmartzone. You'll hear me tomorrow morning at least from 5 to 6 before the wake-up zone as I'm in for Clay Travis along with Jeff Schwartz on Fox Sports Radio and I'll kick the coverage. 615-737-1045 is how to join me. I spent the last segment lamenting again the overtime rule that's still imperfect in the NFL. Let's go to Trey in Nashville. He leads us off tonight on the Big 6. Trey, what's up? Hey, I have an idea about this whole overtime thing. Sure and tell me what you think about it. We can't decide if field goals or touchdowns or anything like that are better. So what if we play to uh, first to, I was thinking about numbers, each team gets a chance, and they say the first team to 11 points wins. That way you set up a potential for a two-possession game, a three-possession game, however you want to play it. But, you know, in most overtime games, you see at least two possessions per team. Sometimes they they have one if they're really trying to milk it. But I say two to three possessions, you play to 11 points where you have a chance to go for two and a field goal to win it. You could kick three field goals, you could score a touchdown and another touchdown to win it. But 11 points, I felt like was a pretty good number and that way you're guaranteed to see at least, you know, two possessions from each team. Okay, Trey. I think you're overthinking it a little bit, but I I appreciate the out of the box considerations. It's not, I don't care how many possessions you play. Like, I don't need to see more possessions. This isn't about a longer game for me. That's not my goal here. My goal here is just that both teams have to go through the same double dare obstacle course and climb through the same mouth to get to the orange flag, not just one. That they both have the same opportunity. And I'd be fine if that gets done in one overtime. If one team's able to score and the other one's not able to match, fine. Good. That team loses. The one that scored wins. You don't have to overthink it. It doesn't have to be a bunch of different rules to make it happen. All it has to be is both teams possess the football an equal amount of times in overtime until one succeeds where the other fails. Meaning one team scores a touchdown the other one only, well, you wouldn't kick a field goal unless you kicked it first. But you have the same opportunity, like an inning in baseball. Even if the rest of the game you can't apply as much to baseball, you can't apply the extra frames. You can apply the overtime rules because of the way possessions are handled in football. Now, if you turn the football over, the other team kick a field goal and beat you. But it's still relatively simple, the way that I'm laying it out. That right there, the 11 points and all, that's a little bit too convoluted. That's just... That's overthinking it a little bit. But again, I appreciate all your thoughts. 615-737-1045 or on Twitter at jmartzone. So the All-NBA teams are out. LeBron James, third team NBA. First time since 2007 when he was on the second team that he was not in the first. It is his 15th consecutive All-NBA selection, which ties him with Kareem, with Timmy D, and with Kobe for the most in history. And third team's about right. With the games that he missed and how bad the Lakers were, he didn't go there for basketball reasons. So, first team, he's first team talent. But this season, it just wasn't there. The first team was Giannis, James Harden, Paul George, Steph, and Nikola Jokic. Notice I didn't mention Kevin Durant, who many believe is probably the best player in basketball. Notice I did not mention Kawhi Leonard, also second team, along with Joel Embiid, Kyrie Irving, and Damian Lillard. I already discussed Kawhi. I kind of want to talk about Durant being the single most sensitive athlete in the world right now. And this whole craziness with Chris Broussard, who you'll hear a little bit later on tonight here on The Zone, on The Odd Couple with Rob Parker. And the Chris Broussard thing is just nuts because, you know what, I'll do that here. As opposed to talking about Harden and Paul, maybe we'll talk about both. But this whole thing is Kevin Durant not being able to handle criticism not being able to handle anything negative being said about him. He's so in his feelings, which I've talked about before on this show, and it's sad to see because he's so good. Who cares what Chris Broussard or anybody else has to say? But Broussard put out a tweet over the weekend, I believe it was, that said that people in NBA circles, insiders and other players, have an asterisk next to the two championships for Kevin Durant with the Warriors, and that if the Warriors keep winning and he's unable to get back on the floor, then that is Kevin Durant's worst nightmare. And Kevin Durant said, worst nightmare, blah, 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 all this. And then Broussard fired back because Kevin Durant had to reply to this and not just leave it out there. Because, I mean, really, if he hadn't said it, nobody would have cared. It's not like Chris Broussard's name is... I don't know how many of you out there follow Chris. He's a super nice guy. But who cares? Like, why would Kevin Durant even feel the need to beef here? But then Broussard said, hey, man, we've talked. Kevin Durant and I have talked for years. We've talked and text messaged for years and years about the media, about basketball, about faith, about all these things. As of late, he's taking more things personally, I hate that, but I'm sure we'll talk about this and beef it. And then Kevin Durant decided I would respond to that one by saying, you don't even have my number, bro. To which Chris Broussard was getting killed as if he was lying, and then Broussard fired back. These were all through DMs on Twitter and Instagram. Direct messages as well, private messages. And so he wasn't lying. He just talked about the method wrong. Whatever. This is all nuts. Kevin Durant's one of the best basketball players in the world. He's set to make millions. Whether or not he stays in Golden State, or whether or not he goes to New York, or goes to Washington, it goes to the Clippers, or goes to the Lakers, it goes wherever in the world it is that he wants to go. Yet he's so concerned about what some dude on TV has to say about him. And it's not just that. He also replied to to guys that have like 200 Twitter followers. Nothing shows that pride has overtaken you to a degree that it has become a problem. When you quote tweet somebody that has virtually no following at all that you don't know from Adam, and you still have to refute what they say because it bothers you that much. And I'm not standing here... In a room that doesn't have glass in it, because I get hurt by this stuff too. I've said before on this very show, if I get a hundred comments to something that I say on the air or something that I write, and ninety-nine of them are positive, super positive, and one of them is negative, let me tell you which one it is that I'm gonna remember. And so I'm gonna have to pray about that. I'm gonna have to pray for grace. I'm gonna have to say I don't know where that person's life is, I don't know where they're coming from, and also Let me see if I can figure out where they're coming from because they might have a point. Sometimes you guys are smarter than me. Sometimes I get it wrong. Sometimes I blow it. Sometimes I don't live up to my own standards. And sometimes I need to be checked and and called out on things. But Kevin Durant can't allow that right now, which makes me wonder, how are you going to handle the New York media if you go to the Knicks? Have you seen what Adam Gase is going through with the Jets? And he's certainly brought some of this on himself, but this isn't new. Have you seen the Giants? Have you watched all of these franchises? Have you watched this media market? Kevin Durant can't handle Chris Broussard on TV talking about him. He can't handle a guy with an egg avatar saying anything about him. He has to fire back. This man created a burner Twitter account, a fake Twitter account to respond to trolls to his actual Twitter account so that it seemed like he had people on his side. That's a thing that happened because he could not handle criticism. This guy has it all, and he seems to be so incredibly unhappy and unsatisfied and unfulfilled. And that just makes me sad for him because there was a time when it did look like he was a happy guy, and we saw his mom when he was in Oklahoma City, and he seemed to enjoy life, and he was being called the classy superstar. And I'm not even suggesting he's not classy. I'm suggesting that he's kind of lost it and he spends more time yelling than he does playing basketball. Draymond Green, man, I have killed Draymond Green for years, but Draymond Green earlier this week, and we should probably get the audio. Maybe we'll play it tomorrow. Not sure, but he did the the press conference after the Warriors sweep and he said, you know what? My mom finally told me that's enough, Draymond. And Draymond said, you know what? I started realizing that I was whining and complaining more than I was playing. And so now I'm just out here playing basketball again. I don't think this is coincidental that Kevin Durant's not on the floor because I think that that adds to the whining and the complaining because there is a negative energy at times when he is out there because of the way his body language moves and how many technical fouls he gets. Notice Draymond didn't get a single technical foul in this whole series. Hasn't gotten one since Durant went out. Seems to enjoy basketball again. And now he's saying things that sound awfully mature and awfully leader-like. And also, awfully, I want to get paid, and I want to stay in Golden State-like. But props to Draymond Green for saying that, because it takes guts, and it takes introspection to come out and say, I was whining, I just need to play basketball. That is what we cry about watching the NBA. Everybody whines about everything. No one ever commits fouls. Draymond Green didn't really complain during this series, and he just played the best playoff series of his entire career. There is something to be said in life for finding happiness, for being content in who you are, and for then just going out there and crushing it on a basketball floor. Super impressive from Draymond. Kevin, you could learn from Draymond Green. Yes, those are words I just said. Back in a moment. WWE, still, you should be ashamed of yourselves. Big 6, 104.5. Final segment tonight here on the Big Six, 1045 the Zone. I'm Jason Martin on Twitter at JmartZone. We're brought to you by Renters Warehouse, dedicated to making renting your home easy, making it fast, and making it worry-free. Renter's Warehouse, you can't buy happiness, but you can rent it. Got a cool stat that I tweeted out last night that a lot of you enjoyed that I'll give you here at the end to make you smarter. And a reminder again, tomorrow morning, five to six before the wake-up zone. Hits the airways. you'll hear me. The first hour live of Outkick the Coverage. In for Clay Travis the next couple of days on Friday and Monday. And then Tuesday and Wednesday, I will be in on the wake-up zone. And then I'm headed to Los Angeles, which is going to be a crazy week, to say the least. Sleep again, a luxury I cannot afford these days. So there's a show called Squared Circle Radio. I don't know if you've heard of it. We've done it for about five and a half years. Since 2014, January 2014, that show began. With my good pals, Brandon Hagney and David Reed. Get well soon, my friend. Meaning the latter there, he's had a a tough stretch. His family has. And so, just throwing out blessings and prayers to my pals, David and Lindsey. But the WWE, and I've talked about this in the past. They are going back to Jeddah, Saudi Arabia on June the 7th. Which is going to be a Friday afternoon here when the show is actually going to air live in the afternoon. And I'm telling you what time it's going to air. I'm also going to tell you I won't be watching it, just like none of the three of us watched it last year, even though we cover it for a living, for part of our living. WWE is taking blood money, again, from a regime that is murdering dissidents, murdering people of certain descent, murdering journalists, murdering journalists, and actually, somehow, this regime is more repressive than the one that came before. This is such an amazing thing that it continues to happen. And there are people within the company who refuse to go. John Cena actually stood in the ring. John Cena, now a huge star outside of pro wrestling. His life is kind of, his WWE life is gone away. He's not going to go to Dwayne Johnson levels. He's not going to be The Rock but he's kind of the closest thing to The Rock when it comes to somebody that can branch out and do some other things. And he's already been pretty good in the movies he's done. But John Cena's saying, no, I'm not going this time. He went last time and they made him stand in the ring and talk about how the new regime had, had changed so much and it was so impressive, all the things that they were doing. And now women can drive. Women still can't perform. No women will be on this show. At all, despite the fact that they just made, meaning they meaning WWE, just made a gigantic deal about the fact that their main event for the first time at WrestleMania, their biggest show of the year was three women and making history and how important it was and how they've been leading the charge for women. Yet they're going to take blood money to go do what they have now advertised all week as a show equivalent to or greater than WrestleMania, probably something that the Saudis made them say as part of this arrangement where women can't perform at all. So everything is hypocritical here. So Cena said no. Daniel Bryan said no because of repressive policies and their feelings against minorities. Sami Zayn is another competitor inside WWE, another performer. He has Syrian descent, so they the Saudis will not let him perform on the show. Kevin Owens, one of his best friends, who would have been in the title match, on June the 7th, said, I'm not going because of all of this. He made a political statement, will not take what would be a hefty payday because he wanted to take a stand here. It's not just them. There are others, but those are enough. I don't know why this story has not gotten more play, just like I'm not sure why it didn't get last time. The WWE stock has dropped over $20 since it's high about five or six months ago. Saudi money is going to come in, and they are paying. I can't even begin to describe to you how much money they are paying. And the main event of this card, and I heard this said by senior columnist Bruce Mitchell, who's been writing about pro wrestling for 28 years out of North Carolina. I had not even considered it from this perspective. The main event of this show taking place in the Middle East is Bill Goldberg versus the undertaker why should that matter to you it didn't matter all that much to me except it disappointed me that goldberg would go over and do this show because he seemed to always hold himself up to a different level from a character standpoint but think about this this is a jewish man performing against the embodiment of death in the middle east in the main event of a show that WWE is taking 40 to $50 million to do. So the expectation then would be, there will not be a conclusion to this match because you can't beat the Jewish man in the Middle East because people will lose their minds. But you can't beat this historic Hall of Famer in a match like this either. A dream match from 15 years ago maybe that doesn't mean as much now except that it gets done here because they're paying so much money. They can just pay to get what they want on this show. So then you're probably not going to get a clean finish, as it's called in the business. You'll have two other guys come out or something like that and challenge these two guys, and it'll turn into some impromptu tag match, and then you can get to your ending. But there's so much wrong here. How much money would you have to be paid to throw all of your morality to the side? to throw all of your decency to the side. And with as outraged as people are and are looking for reasons to be so, it is stunning to me how little this has actually made its way onto social media. And that means one of two things. One, no one knows. Or two, WWE can do whatever they want because no one has any respect for them or would expect anything better of them. This is a business that is very rapidly losing me as a fan in general because it's just not all that much fun anymore. And I worked in it for almost a decade and have written about it for over two decades and have hosted this Squared Circle show now for over five years. I'm telling you, the only answer here is to cancel this arrangement, which is a long-term deal. I know it's a lot of money, but your reputation should matter more than this. And this is disgusting. And advertising it as better than WrestleMania the show that you just spent making, you know, the biggest show of your year because you're going to Saudi Arabia and they told you to say that and you've canceled other shows around it as well to accommodate what they're paying you from that government somebody needs to stand and I'm glad some of the performers aren't going let's make you smarter real quick on the way out the door with something lighter things that make you, that make you go ooh. you want to feel old, Jawan Howard, the new Michigan head coach, he is the 11th current college basketball coach that also appeared in NBA Jam. How old do you feel? Here's the list. Ewing, Penny, Bobby Hurley, Dan Marley, Danny Manning, Danielle Marshall, Aaron McKee, Terry Porter, Jerry Stackhouse, Damon Stoudemire, and, yes, Jawan Howard. We'll see you tomorrow. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless and good night.